spin is becoming more and more important to the game of pickleball. So video creator Chris Olson set out to make a couple of videos on the topic, with one being instructional in nature and the other assessing which pickleball paddles can impart the most spin. So let's get to the intro to hear from Chris. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Chris Olson. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It is great to have you on. And there's actually many things I want to talk to you about, but I always do like to start off a little bit about your pickleball journey how you got started playing and how long ago that was. Totally. So I started April of last year, so 2021. And I just had a friend one day that was like, hey, do you want to come play pickleball? And I was like, what the heck is, I've I've never heard of pickleball. So we get there and I was like, oh, this is just small tennis. Because I played tennis most of growing up, probably from like eight until like my late teens. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so easy because I, I know my friend and he didn't have any racket sport background. So I was like, oh, this will be this will be just fine. He stomped me. I think every game we played that day, it was like 11-1, 11-2. I probably didn't score any more than three points. And I'm hyper competitive. So I was like, you should not be able to beat me without a racket sport background. So after that, like I immediately went and bought some pickleball paddles. We kept playing. And after I was able to start beating him, I was like, oh, this sport is like super fun. So then I just found some locals and like just went all in after that. Now for what, for you, what does it mean to be all in? Oh, it's just like (laughs) my friends, friends and family always joke about this, but they're like, Chris cannot do multiple things at once like he can only have one hobby and he has to be really good at that one hobby like it's all he will do all the videos he watches all the free time he has it will just be all about that and what happened it looks like as you took some of your background in making videos in film and brought that into pickleball yes i so i've been doing filmmaking for properly for like nine years or so now. And kind of when I got into it, so I've done like a lot of YouTube stuff. I used to do YouTube stuff with Rubik's Cubes, and then I made a YouTube channel for filmmaking. And then as I was looking at the landscape of pickleball, I was like, huh, I'm like surprised this isn't more properly developed. Like a lot of it is on cell phones or like slightly older camcorders. And that stuff is fine. But I was just kind of surprised. So I was like, oh, maybe like once I know enough about pickleball to actually know what I'm talking about, I was like, I'd love to make a YouTube channel and kind of like up the production value in this world. Now you, I I just have to ask you, you did mention you did some stuff with Rubik's Cube. What the heck was it? And and is there anything in that actually relates to pickleball? Yeah. So not so much relates to pickleball, but that was the hobby I was obsessed with before this. I started solving Rubik's Cubes when I was 12. And then I started going to competitions. I broke a couple uh, world records over the 12 or 13 so years that I was doing it. And then I just did tons of YouTube in there. That's how I got started in video. I had a YouTube channel. And then some of the Rubik's Cube companies within that field were like, oh, like this kid's really good at making videos. We should just hire him to do some of our video production. So, But what I will say is actually really funny. 
speed cubing and pickleball have so many similarities. Like the communities are identical. Everyone is super welcoming. Everyone is just there to have a great time. Like I never thought some of the skills or things I learned in speed cubing would translate to any other sport. But in terms of how I made videos for speed cubing, it's almost identical to how I would make them for pickleball. So it's kind of funny to see that actually translated into something else in my life when I didn't think it ever would. Well, let's dig a little bit into how you do make videos, because as you mentioned, so many people have videos on pickleball, but they're using their cell phone, certainly not the quality of videos that you do. So how do you do it? Yeah, I mean, there's a whole, I guess it depends how far into it you want to dive into. I think we all make the videos in the same way in terms of like what we want to talk about. But like, for me, one of the things that I always try and do is I script most of my videos out. And the reason I prefer doing it this way is you cut out, you can cut out all the fluff. If I make a video where I just talk off the top of my head, there's going to be things where I repeat it two or three times. I'm going to sit there and go, um, a lot. And these are all things you can cut out when you do a script. So it's kind of a lot of fluff you can take out. I would say most people who don't script a video versus someone who does script a video, depending on the topic, you could cut out anywhere from like three to 10 minutes. If it's a really long video, you could probably cut out 10 minutes by scripting it. If it's somewhere in the like five to 10 minute range, you could probably cut out about three minutes. But then after that, it it kind of just comes down to nicer equipment. There's better lighting gear, nicer camera versus a cell phone, and then maybe just a little fancier editing or something like that. That was one of the things that I noticed in a couple of your videos. It seems like there's just so inform- so much information so fast. It almost seems like you're talking a little bit fast, but they are like action-packed videos. And in some cases, you're doing paddle reviews and other times something around technique. But uh, yeah, I commend you. I-, I think it's tremendous. And it must take so much work to actually make them the quality that you do. Definitely. I would say that's one of the most frustrating might not quite be the right word, but there are times where I want to get a video out really fast, but part of like, and I don't like that I'm a perfectionist, but I guess part of that mentality is like, if I can't do this really well, then I don't really want to do it at all. So like if I was going to make, let's just say like a how to play pickleball video, Like, I wouldn't want to do it where someone is just standing on the court live and explaining it. Like, I would want to film a bunch of separate stuff that can go over top of someone talking. And now that requires having four other people that can show up and let you film them. And then you've got to record the voiceover later. And it it, the process just generally takes longer. But in general, I think it, it comes out to be a better result. I can definitely say that I have enjoyed watching your videos and it must take a really a long time to produce them, even if you're doing something as simple as a paddle review, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> actually paddle reviews was a big one that I kind of wanted to do differently. I noticed I can't say this for everyone, but I watched quite a few paddle reviews before I started making them to get an idea of what people were talking about, how long they use them. And the biggest thing for me was a lot of people would review a paddle after like maybe one day of use or like a couple days of use. And I can't say that doesn't give you a good idea of how a paddle plays, but I feel like there are things that come up a little bit later in a paddle's life that you notice more or you just have a a bigger opinion on. So I try and test a paddle for sometimes anywhere between two weeks and a month. And the problem with that is like, it just takes a really long time to actually go out and 
use the paddle, have other people test it, get their opinion. So that actually might be one of the most, I guess, frustrating videos to make is because I want to get it done quickly. But I feel like if I want to do it right, it can't be done quickly. What are some of those things that you tend to learn about that are later in a paddle? A great example would be the paddle I'm currently using, and it's been the one I've been using for like three months now, the Diadem Warrior. It is an awesome paddle. I love it. When I first got it, I had super glowing things to say about it, and I still do. But the problem that I noticed is it has a really serious construction problem that they have supposedly fixed in their second batch now. But that's something I wouldn't have caught had I not played with it longer, because it generally takes about two to three weeks of play before some of these issues start showing up. But once they do, they're pretty serious issues and ones that I would want to warn people about because I think they'd be pretty disappointed spending $180 on a paddle and then it has these issues. Besides the paddle videos, the paddle review videos, what are some of the other things that you've covered? Yeah, so it's mostly been paddle reviews so far, but I actually want to do a lot of other videos. The biggest one that people know me for at this point is I did a spin test video. When I came into pickleball, I noticed that people would talk about paddles in very subjective ways where they go like, this paddle gets so much more spin than my other paddle. And I think you you can feel that on some paddles, but there was just no quantifiable measuring going on. So I came up with this method to basically measure how much a paddle spins a ball and then made a video about that. And that one blew up. And I think it was because now instead of just an opinion, you actually had a number behind it. And it was, oh, this paddle all the way over here that maybe I thought did really well actually isn't even close to ones at the top. But I would love to in the future as I become a better player, do tutorials about how to improve, stuff about the rules, maybe stuff like things you should know before going to your first tournament. I don't really have any limits on the things I want to make. I just want to make sure that I do it well and I'm not just, I'm, I'm like a 3-5-4 player. I don't want to give advice until I really feel like I can give that advice well. Let's dig in a little bit more with the video that you just mentioned in terms of measuring the spin that you get from a paddle. Yeah. I love the fact that you quantified it because my background is as a data scientist. So I am really curious about the methodology that you used. Yeah, totally. This was actually, people had so many opinions about my testing methodology. But basically what I did is I took a pickleball and then I marked half of it in Sharpie. So that way you could see when a revolution was completed on the ball. And then I film it in slow motion on one of my cameras, either in 120 frames per second or 240. Uh, the higher frame rate is always going to be better, but sometimes there's not enough light to really allow you to film in that slow motion. And then basically what you do from there is I would drop a ball just like a drop serve and then just hit a forehand, essentially just like you're serving a ball. And then as the ball is rotating in the air, you start the, when the black is on top and then you count how many frames it took for the ball to complete one full revolution. And then from there, there's like this fancy bowling RPM calculator that I plug all the numbers into. You give it the video frame rate, how many frames it took, and then it will spit out uh, the number of RPMs you got for that shot. And then I will do that 10 times for each paddle. So that way you get an average. And 10 is kind of a random number, but I mostly landed on that because I found within 10 shots, the numbers were almost always identical. Like you, you might have 
uh, a couple shots that were faster by one frame or slower by one frame, but never more than that. So after 10, it was you're just getting the same number over and over. So I didn't really feel like more data helped with each paddle. About 10 was like, yeah, this seems pretty reasonable. Did you have to count each revolution just by your eye or how did or did you have some technology to help you with that? No, I had to manually analyze every single shot. So that meant in the video I did, I had my brother do it and myself for about 30 different paddles. So it was like 700 shots that I had to manually sit through and analyze every rotation and then go plug it into the calculator, type it into a spreadsheet. It was easily the most boring, one of the most boring things I've ever had to do. <laughs> wow. I can't believe you did that. That must, that would be tough. Anyways. I, I definitely <laughs> never want to have to do 700 in a row again. Doing them like every now and then, like a couple times a week, that's fine, but not in one sitting. <laughs> now, do you do that and, and look at the spin for paddles that you review since obviously that's going to happen after you made that one particular video? Yeah, definitely. Every paddle I do from now, I'm going to make sure I do those tests and then I'm going to add them to the spreadsheet. So and then I'll put them in like the links of all my descriptions. So if people ever want to see, they can just go in the description, check that spreadsheet and see if there's a paddle I have or haven't tested. Now, was there a... Yeah, well, there was in the first video that I did. My brother got the highest result with the Engage Encore 6.0, but we're possibly going to throw that result out. He definitely got that result. Like if you watch the video, the ball is spinning like crazy. But I have had three other people do this test with that paddle, including myself, and our results were not nearly that high. And I think there is always going to be some variable of different people have different ways of hitting. Maybe a longer handle helps them. Maybe a longer handle hurts another person. So it, it his was kind of an anomaly and I, since I'm seeing consistent results from other people not being that high, I'm kind of like, that's weird and I want to change that. But generally speaking, for all the paddles we've tested and all the people I've had do this, the results are almost always very similar. It's like plus or minus 100 RPM, which generally isn't a huge amount of spin difference. So when it comes to spin, are you basically saying that most paddles are pretty much the same? Oh, no, definitely not there. <laughs> if you look at so like in the video, I basically categorized them in three tiers, low spin, average, and then high tier. The low tier had ones like the Head Gravity Light, the Adidas Paddles, and a Vanguard Invicta. Those were all in about the 1000 range. And then in the high range, you had one, the Pro Kenex, Babolat, Electrum, Engage Pursuit, uh, the ones with the new gritty black surface, and then just a handful of others. But if you are someone who can hit good spin and you use one from the high tier and the low tier, you will see a huge difference. That is really interesting because my background is in racquetball. So the idea in racquetball is you always want to keep the ball very low. So naturally you learn how to hit a slice. So mm, yeah. when I hit the ball, even if I play against four players, They'll be like, I can't believe how much spin you can put on the ball. And I'm like, well, I'm not really even trying to. I mean, I, I know it can be advantageous, especially if you're playing weaker players and, and they're not used to it. But I have very good players have difficulty returning my serve. But that's you know, awesome. Th thinking about that, when it comes to spin, doesn't it seem like it's getting more and more important to the game? I think it is. A lot of people will argue like, 
spin isn't that important or spin shouldn't be a focus. And I would agree. I think if you're a lower level player, a lot of times they don't have those spin shots in their arsenal. So like getting a spin paddle won't really help you if you don't already have the technique. But if you're someone who is already good at spin, it's not necessarily like you're trying to only play spin. But when you need those shots, I think the paddle can make a pretty big difference. For me personally, I played a decent amount with the Vanguard and Victa, and I just can't hit some of the shots that I'm comfortable hitting with that paddle because there's not enough topspin on it for some of my rolls or my drives to bring the ball in before it goes out on the baseline. Whereas there's other paddles where like I can hit those shots all day long and it feels super comfortable. Now, do you have plans to do kind of refine your spin test? Because it sounds like there's really been a lot of interest. Yeah, I I would like to find ways to improve it. I think the biggest one is mostly just shooting with a higher frame rate camera. One of the feedbacks I was getting consistently was, well, you're a person hitting the ball. Your arm can get tired. You might hit a little different from day to day. You should build a robot. And the robot comment was always funny to me because I'm like, I'm not an engineer. I don't have the money or time to just build a robot. But the thing I've kind of come to the conclusion on is while it is not a perfect test, I don't really think a perfect test exists. And I think the one we're doing right now is pretty close. Like you are going to have some anomalies occasionally, but I think it's pretty easy to rule those out when you get those. Um, And it just people are different, right? Like Everyone has a different way of hitting the ball. Some people hit it lighter. Some people hit it harder. Some people hit it with more or less spin. I just think these are things that are going to happen in a game. And if you have a robot do the same shot over and over, the robot that's testing might not hit the same way you do. So maybe in some cases, you might put more spin on the ball than the robot. So I think there's small ways it could be improved, but I'm mostly happy with where it's at right now. Was there any relationship between how gritty the paddle was and the amount of spin that resulted? Generally speaking, yes. There was only a couple paddles where that wasn't the case. One of the biggest ones would have been the new Gearbox paddles. Uh, Those weren't in the original video, but I've since added them to the spreadsheet. Those faces are like completely smooth. Like they have very minimal grip, but they ranked almost near the top of my test. I actually think for me personally... One of the gearbox paddles was the highest that I've ever tested. And then there were other paddles like the head gravity light, which feels fairly gritty on the face, but it was dead last. So grit does is not the end all be all when it comes to spin. But for most paddles, it does matter. Gearbox is kind of a weird exception because they build their paddles so differently. But for actually, here's a great example. The Ben Johns paddle. Most people know this paddle as after about a week or two, it loses all its grit. And when that paddle loses its grit, there was actually a very big drop-off. It went from, I think, somewhere in the 13 or 1400 RPM down to like 1100-ish. And that's like a noticeable drop. But you will feel that while you play. Now, I wonder if Ben switches paddles every game. I've seen him play a couple times, but you know what? I didn't really think about how often he changes paddles because you know how tennis players are typically it's a set number of games and then they'll change rackets totally and i think ben actually did say somewhere i don't remember if it was a video he made or an interview or somewhere but i'm positive he swaps paddles after every tournament i don't know if he will swap paddles on the same day i haven't seen that but it's definitely possible 
Interesting. It sounds like you do have some very interesting videos. Are there any other ones that you should would like to let the audience know? None right now that would be relevant. The I guess this video isn't relevant at all anymore, but I guess the original video that got me into pickleball is I had made a, a video about the chainsaw serve. Oh, actually, you know what? I, I actually just forgot I made this video. I made a video about the current one-handed spin serve. So if people want to learn how to do that, I think it's titled The Ultimate Guide to One-Handed Pickleball Serves. It gives you all of the uh, rules about what where it's legal, where it isn't legal, how to do the technique, how to read the technique, and all of that. And I think it'll be important for people this year to know how to read that because last year it certainly caused a lot of problems for people. And in general, I don't think it's as hard to deal with as people think it is. Right. And that was the video I think Shay Underwood mentioned when I interviewed him here recently. Oh, yeah, I was. That's right. All right. Well, so going forward, do you expect to be making pickleball content 100% of the time going forward? Or what's it look like for you? Yeah, I'm actually kind of figuring that out right now. I've been approached by quite a few of the bigger brands and a couple players about producing content for them. And I think if these all work out, I would love to. Like if pickleball content became the only videos I made, except for just maybe the random big freelance job that comes every now and then that you just don't want to say no to, I would totally do it. Like I'm completely sold on pickleball at this point. I love the exercise. I love the social aspect of it. It's been really energizing to make videos about a topic that I'm really passionate about. That's kind of what worked well in cubing is I just loved it so much that it was so easy to talk about. And I see a lot of that happening with pickleball again. And you said you made some world records with the speed cubing. Are you thinking about trying to get to the pro level in your pickleball game? Yeah, I... I've been talking with some people about this recently. I think if I start to see it become feasible for myself or I'm getting into that realm, I would definitely go for it. Like I'm training a lot right now. Like I play quite a bit of pickleball during my week. But I think the biggest thing for me is I know that long term video production is what I'm going to do. And I wouldn't want to put the video production on hold unless I knew the pro career was going to be paying enough to kind of help me take that break. But if I get to like a 5.0 or higher 5.0 level, I think at that point I would probably try and go for it. I'm just so competitive that it's like, it's hard for me to not want that if I see it's possible. I look forward to interviewing you in the future and see where this journey takes because you are pretty new to the sport. It looks like you're just coming up on almost a year of playing. So I hope to have you back on the podcast. It's been great to talk to you, Chris. And thank you so much for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a ton of fun. Oh, I do, should ask, if people want to find you on YouTube, what should they type in? Yeah, if you want to find me on any social media, which at the moment is just YouTube and Instagram, it's The Pickleball Studio. Perfect. Thanks again, Chris. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.